0: The letter of Philemon really stresses and emphasizes the relationship that we're actually in. This is a family. The church is a family. It's referred to in, I think, Galatians, later on in Galatians, and I say later on in Galatians because our home fellowship is studying through the letter to the Galatians. It's called the household of faith or the family of God. And the church is a family. And it's really good to look at it that way because we have been regenerated, that is born again, and we share a common father, or we have a common father, which makes us what? Sisters and brothers, sisters and brothers. And and I don't believe that that can be emphasized enough. I'm fortunate in the sense that I have a good relationship with all of my siblings. I have five brothers, four brothers, and one sister. And I'm very, I consider myself very fortunate to have a wonderful relationship with all of them. I could call them either one right now and get a favorable response, unless one is in the hospital or something like that. But I have a good relationship with all of them. And I believe that I have a good relationship with all the members of the body of Christ that I know. I don't believe that I have any animosity or enmity toward any person in this room or in the body of Christ that I, that I know. So it's a wonderful thing to consider ourselves as a family and to think of ourselves that way. And the reason I'm mentioning that is because that's the way Paul views it. He sees Philemon as a brother in Christ. And we don't know exactly what Onesimus did. But Paul knows that Onesimus has now, at least at that time, had been converted or transformed at the heart level. And he considers him as a beloved brother. And he's making a passionate appeal to Philemon because Onesimus had run away. And we don't know whether he stole anything or what he may have taken. But we do know that he wasn't there to be fulfilling his purpose for being a slave of Philemon. So there was a loss to Philemon because of his absence. And so Paul committed himself to repay it, whatever it may have been. That's an amazing thing. And he's making a passionate plea on behalf of Onesimus to Philemon to receive him back as he would himself. In fact, that's the key verse, I believe, in this whole letter, is verse 17. He says, If then you regard me a partner, that is, someone who shares in the same thing or someone who's in a familial-type relationship, receive him as me. In other words, consider him in the same way that you would consider me if I were coming to your place, that's absolutely amazing. And I think that's absolutely important because of what Onesimus may have done. But anyway, we're coming to the end of this letter right now. And what I want to do initially is to give a little bit of a a summary, but I'm not going to necessarily look at any particular verses, maybe one or two. And this is the way it goes. As we have seen so far, this very brief and personal letter to Philemon has made a passionate to, to Philemon has made a Paul has made a passionate plea to his friend and brother to welcome his slave Onesimus back to him. That is what this letter is all about. It is about Philemon welcoming and receiving his runaway slave who did him wrong, back to him without any strings attached. Paul is asking Philemon to forgive him, to be reconciled with him, and to receive him back in the same way, or to the same degree, as he would receive Paul himself. I think this is an amazing request, but Paul has great confidence in Philemon that he will actually do this. And as I was thinking about this, I was wondering how does he have so much confidence that Philemon would receive Onesimus back in this way. And I was also checking my heart to see if I would receive someone in the same manner that Paul is requesting of Philemon who had wronged me. So this lesson really, this this letter, this page really speaks to my heart in terms of the matter of forgiveness. So that is the request, and that is what Paul is asking Philemon to do. For whatever reason, Onesimus ran away from Philemon. We're not told why, without notification or permission. He didn't notify, Onesimus didn't. He didn't notify Philemon that he was going to leave, because if he had, Philemon probably wouldn't have let him leave, nor was he permitted by Philemon to leave. So he just ran away. Apparently he didn't like the situation or circumstances or whatever the case may be, but we do know that he ran away. And he traveled about a thousand miles from Colossae to Rome where he could possibly blend in with the masses there. In fact, at that time, the population of Rome was anywhere from 450,000 to 500,000. That's a little bit bigger than South Lake. So... He went there to blend in so that he wouldn't be discovered as a runaway slave because there could have been a high price to pay as being a runaway slave. The consequences could could possibly include beatings, severe beatings, or even capital punishment or death. The master of a slave had basically absolute authority over that slave. He could cause him to do whatever he wanted to do. He could beat him if he wanted to, perhaps even have him executed if he wanted to have that done to him. What what I find interesting here is that Onesimus was able to find his way to the Apostle Paul, who was under house arrest in the same city. Isn't that amazing? I don't think this happened by chance. I think that divine providence was actually in effect uh, in Philemon's I mean in uh, Onesimus' life. And so he went and found the apostle Paul. I'm not sure if he was looking for him or somehow God led him to the place where Paul was under house arrest. And as Paul's custom was, he always shared the gospel every time he had an opportunity with whomever he may have come in contact with. And as a result of that gospel, Philemon, or Onesimus, was actually saved or converted and became, as Paul says, a beloved brother in Christ. A radical transformation was wrought in him by the Holy Spirit himself. One commentator put it this way, as a Phrygian slave, and they were proverbial for being unreliable and unfaithful, He had previously been useless to Philemon, that is, Onesimus. He was from the province of Phrygia, which is in Colossae, which is east of Ephesus, perhaps 100 to 120 miles. And they had a reputation of being useless and unreliable and unfaithful, so Onesimus must have been one of them. After his conversion, Onesimus became useful to Paul as a ministry partner, and Paul knew that he would be useful to his master Philemon as well. He became a useful ministry companion to Paul to the extent that Paul wanted to keep him, but he knew that it was right, or I'm sorry, illegal for him to do so. So as a result of that, the opportunity came that he could send him back to his master but not as the same man that he was when he left. In order to do the right thing, Paul sent Onesimus back to Colossae to his rightful owner and earthly master, Philemon. Let's notice again in verse 17. He says, if you regard me a partner, that is, Paul is talking to Philemon, that is, a companion, partner, or sharer, accept him as you would me paul is appealing to onesimus to accept i mean to philemon to accept onesimus just as or in the very same way that he would accept or receive paul himself this required forgiveness and reconciliation by philemon in regards to someone who had wronged him In order that any loss to Philemon's business as a result of Onesimus running away might not serve as an obstacle to Paul's request, Paul asked Philemon to charge it to his account. This implies a great doctrine here of imputation. In other words, credit your loss to my account. Don't credit it to Onesimus' account. And as Jordan mentioned last time, this is the way Christ did us. God credited those who believe in him, in Jesus. God credited their sins, all their sins, to Christ. And then he treated Christ as if he had committed all of those sins. What an amazing transaction. And he goes even further than that. He even credited the righteous life of Christ to those who believe in him, and treated them as if they had lived the righteous life of Christ. What a great salvation this is. And so that's the gospel. He is offering Philemon a promissory note, or IOU, indicating that he would handle it himself. Now Paul is under house arrest. He has no job. He has no income from working in that sense. He was supported to a degree, but he also worked. But Paul is saying, Whatever he owes you, or whatever wrong that he's done to you, charge that to my account. As you know already, Paul has been making an appeal. He had not been commanding Philemon to do anything, but he has been appealing to him. He's been urging him to do this thing. In other words, he had confidence that Philemon would do what is right. He would do the right thing. And Paul is knowing here, knew here, that he was not going to ask him to do anything wrong. So he was basically believing that Philemon would do what he is requesting of him to do here. I think we'll see later on the unwavering confidence that he had that Philemon would do what is right. And that brings us to verse 20. Verse 20 does not add anything, any other requests, but basically what it does, it reaffirms what Paul has already requested of Philemon. So let's turn to verse 20 and, and read it. Yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Paul is strengthening his request for Philemon's favorable response in this verse. Notice here, as Paul mentioned in verse 7, he's again addressing Philemon as a brother. In fact, we see the word brother at least three times in this short letter. And this implies there's a family relationship between Paul, Philemon, and Onesimus. Even though Philemon, who is the owner or master of, in a physical sense or fleshly sense, of Onesimus, he has not seen Onesimus yet as a converted person, a spiritually converted person who is now a part of the family of God or the body of Christ. We have, already, we have, we have seen all through this letter that any request that Paul would make of Philemon is done in the context of their relationship as brothers in Christ. In other words, he is not talking to someone here who is different from him. He's talking to someone who's in the same family. And that's why I think his expectation of Philemon making a favorable favorable response to his request is so high. And he says earlier on about the love that Philemon has for all the saints. Notice in verse 5 of this letter, because I hear of your love toward all the saints. First of all, he talked about your faith in Christ, which, what, your faith in Christ and your love toward all of the saints. So we get a sense here that Paul knew that Philemon should love Onesimus, even though Onesimus had not Even though Philemon had not seen Onesimus yet as a a child of God or as a believer in Jesus Christ. Because he had already thanked God for Philemon's faith and his love toward all the saints. In this closing verse, Paul is not making another request but is reinforcing the request that he has already made by use of the word yes. You notice in verse 20 It begins with the word yes. He says, Yes, brother. This word yes is like yes indeed or an affirmation of what I've already said. In fact, Jesus used this same word in Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. Let's notice it. Let's turn over there. He uses this exact same word to reinforce a statement that he'd already made to those who were listening to him. Luke chapter 12, verses 4 and 5. I'm reading verse 4 to set the context. I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. And after that, have no more that they can do. But, verse 5, I will warn you whom to fear. Fear the one who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. Yes, fear him. I tell you, fear him. So Jesus is not making an additional request here. He is reaffirming the request that he's already made. In other words, fear the one who has the authority to not only kill, but to cast into hell. And Paul is doing something very similar in this verse. He is reaffirming the requests that he has already made by using this particular word. Paul has an earnest concern about the future well-being of his spiritual son and brother, Onesimus. He is concerned about him. He is concerned about what will happen to him when he leaves Rome. Because as you may recall, those of you who have been here throughout this letter, you may recall that Paul had written a letter to the Colossian church. And he also wrote this letter to Philemon. And he sent this letter by a man by the name of Tychicus. Tychicus. And also he sent Onesimus along with him with the letter as well. And so this letter, letter to the church was to be read. This was more of a private letter, but I'm sure that it would be read at some point as well. It may not have been read initially, but at some point it would be read because now that Onesimus is a believer in Jesus Christ, he would be assimilated into that church which actually met in Philemon's house. This could have been a kind of an awkward situation, especially considering the fact that Onesimus had run away He was not converted at the time. He was a slave of Philemon, but now he's coming back as a slave, but also more than a slave, but now as a beloved brother, so he would be assimilated into this same church that met in Philemon's house. So that's why Paul is making it urgent, I believe, requesting, pleading with Philemon to forgive Onesimus and receive him back in the same way that he would receive Paul himself. Now, his concern primarily is for Philemon, that is Paul's concern, but also Paul would benefit from this. Paul would benefit from this. Let's look at the verse again, verse 20. He says, yes, brother, let me benefit from you in the Lord. So Paul would actually benefit by Philemon doing what he's requesting him to do. His heart would be rejoicing. His mind would be at ease because of his great concern for Onesimus. He's concerned for Onesimus. He's concerned about what may happen to him because he knows that Philemon has probably suffered some kind of loss. He may have had something stolen from him by Onesimus, and now he's concerned that Philemon would welcome him back. This is a pretty high request, but it's also a request that brothers in Christ can make of one another. And that is why Philemon, Paul rather, is making this request of Philemon. He is considering him to be obedient to the request that he's making. Because in, in in Paul's letter to the Romans, we see that Paul was calling people to the obedience of faith. That is, the obedience to the gospel. So Paul is anticipating because of that reality, that Philemon would actually be obedient to what he's asking him. He's also asking him to refresh his heart. To refresh his heart. We use that, we, we've discovered that word before. This is the second part of the verse, the verse. He says, refresh my heart in Christ. Now this verb is in the form of a command. He's asking Philemon, he's actually commanding Philemon to refresh his heart in Christ. And he could do that by being obedient to what Paul has been asking him to do. This word means to cause to rest or to refresh. We talked about this the last time I was up here. And it's a wonderful word. It's a word like if you've been toiling or laboring, you have the opportunity to settle down a little bit and be refreshed, Uh, remove yourself from the labor that you have been engaged in. I think I used an illustration of our home fellowship group. I didn't mention any names, but uh, I feel very refreshed when I go there to their house because they have prepared it so well, all we have to do is come in and sit down and engage in dialogue and conversation and fellowship with one another. I could be tired, but I'm refreshed when I go to their house. They refresh me in the Lord or in Christ by their wonderful hospitality. And the word that's used here has to do with hospitality. And we are to be hospitable toward one another. And Philemon was that type of person because the church actually met in his house. And in this letter, in this section back earlier in the letter, it talks about. How Paul was encouraged and even comforted by how Philemon would refresh the brethren who met in his house. And so Paul is now asking him, do this for me. Do this for me. Refresh my heart in Christ. In fact, he's using some of the same terms. The same word refresh is the same word that we're using now. The word translated heart is the same word that was translated there. And he also uses the word brother in making his request to Philemon to actually do it. So refresh my heart in Christ. Refresh my heart in Christ. You can do that Philemon by responding favorably to the request that I'm making of you now. Was Paul confident that Philemon would do this? I think so. Look at verse 21. Verse 21. This is uh, Roman numeral 2 on the outline, which I call Paul's present state of utmost confidence or assurance in Philemon's obedience. Notice verse 21. Having confidence in your obedience, I write to you since I know that you will do even more than what I say. Paul's state of mind at that time, based on the verb that's used here, was the utmost of confidence and assurance that Philemon would act according to the request that Paul was actually making of him. He says, having confidence in your obedience. Not only did he have confidence in Philemon as the person, but he had confidence in Philemon that he would do what he was requesting of him to do, Otherwise, it would be unnecessary or wouldn't uh, be profitable for him to write the letter. He says, having confidence in your obedience, I write to you. Literally, I am writing to you. I'm writing this to you because I have confidence that you will do what's contained in this letter. So he wrote it to him regarding that situation. He's persuaded. He's convinced without a shadow of a doubt that Philemon would respond according to his request. In fact, this is the same word, the word that, having confidence here, that's in Philippians 1.6. I would imagine that most of you in this room could probably quote that verse, right? What did Paul say? It's the same exact word, and it's also in the same form, and it has the same meaning. Paul says this, For I am confident of this very thing. Basically what he's saying here, I'm confident of this, this, this very thing. I have the utmost of confidence in it. That he who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ Jesus. So in the same way that Paul had confidence that the one who had begun, began a good work in the believers in Philippi, that this same one would perfect that work until the day of Christ Jesus. And Paul is indicating the same confidence here that Philemon would do what he is requesting him to do. So as a result of that, he wrote the way that he did. He didn't have to be commanding Paul throughout this I mean Philemon throughout this letter, but he was appealing to him. He was entreating him that he would do what he had requested of him to do. Is that true with us? When someone asks us to do something in the body of Christ, uh, can they have confidence that if we commit to doing it, we will do it? And they don't have to worry about it or be concerned about it anymore going forward? That's the confidence that Paul had in Philemon. As a person, as well as the confidence in his actions as it, re- as it relates to doing the right thing. I think that's the issue that whatever a believer is requesting of another believer, it should be the right thing to do according to Scripture. So that believer who is being requested or appealed to can have confidence in doing it, knowing that it is the right thing to do. And also this verse goes on to say, I write to you since I know that you will do even more, this is verse 21, than what I say. Even more than what I say. So this is also furthering the confidence, implying the the furtherance of the confidence that Paul actually has in Philemon. He is confident, knowing that he will do even more. Now, we don't know what that even more is. Obviously, uh, there's speculation, but I'm not one to really speculate. But we do know that earlier in this letter, Paul said in verse 12... He says, I have sent him back to you in person, that is, sending my very heart. In other words, it's almost as if Paul is saying, I am sending myself along with him back to you because he is my child in the faith, verse 10 says. So I'm actually like sending myself. And he goes on in verse 13, whom I wish to keep with me. Paul actually wanted to keep him, Onesimus, with him. So that on your behalf he might minister to me in my imprisonment for the gospel. Paul wanted to keep Onesimus with him so that he could serve along with him in the gospel ministry that Paul was actually serving in, even though under house arrest in Rome. But ver, notice verse 14: But without your consent, I did not want to do anything so that your goodness would not be in effect by compulsion, but of your own free will. And I think that's why he's writing to him, appealing to him, that is Paul to Philemon, the way that he is. He's not trying to force him to do anything. He wants him to do what is right according to his own free will, or from his own free will. And that's what he wants him to do regarding Onesimus here. Now, Some people speculate that because Paul said this, he wants Philemon to receive Onesimus back, but at the same time, send him back to Paul. But it doesn't seem to be expressly stated as that. So I don't know if we can really conclude exactly what he means when he says that you may do more, even more than what I say. That could be be the case. But I'm not saying that right now. He goes on in verse 22. He says, At the same time, also prepare me a lodging, for I hope that through your prayers I will be given to you. It appears here that Paul now wants to visit Colossae after he's released. You notice he's under house arrest waiting to be tried and I think he believes at this point that he's going to be released acquitted, because Paul hasn't done anything wrong. He hasn't done anything wrong. He's only preached the gospel. He's only preached the gospel so he hasn't committed any crimes or anything like that. So he probably believes that he's going to be released. In fact I think in Philippians which I'm not going to turn to he speaks of that because he talks about If he's released, he will have opportunity for further ministry. But if he is not released, will he go to be with Christ, which he says is far better. But at the same time, he he feels that he will remain so that he can be more productive regarding the spiritual growth process and the sanctification process of the believers that remain on earth. That probably put a little pressure on Philemon. Think about that. He says that, uh, I want to come to you. I want to come to you. I want to come visit you. Now, he's already made an appeal to Philemon and telling him what to do, asking him what to do. And now he's saying, I want to come to you. So if Paul had shown up, or showed up, well, that would have put a lot of pressure on Philemon to do what Paul had requested him to do. I think Philemon loved Paul, and Paul loved Philemon, and I think as a result of that love relationship that they had, that Philemon would gladly do what Paul requested of him to do, because Philemon was also transformed by the Spirit of God at the heart level as well, and he also loved the brethren. He says he loved all the saints. He had a great love toward all the saints, so I believe that he would do what Paul was requesting. Of him to do now whether Paul actually went to Colossae I don't know for sure but I do believe that he is possible that he could have because if we look at 1st Timothy chapter 1 verse 3 we can see that Paul was released let's look at 1st Timothy verse uh, chapter 1 verse 3 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. Notice what Paul says here to Timothy. We do know also that Timothy uh, was put in place by Paul to pastor the church in Ephesus. Look at verse 3, chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. He says, as I urged you, that is, Paul is speaking to Timothy here, or writing to Timothy, upon my departure from macedonia remain on at ephesus so that you may instruct men not to teach strange doctrines based on the way that i'm reading this verse it appears that paul once he was released from his imprisonment there in rome at that time that he went to ephesus and he put timothy in place there as the pastor He urged him upon his his departure for Macedonia. Now Macedonia is across the water there uh, where Thessalonica is and Philippi and perhaps Berea at that time. He's telling him to remain on at Ephesus so that he can instruct certain men not to teach strange doctrines. Now we know that Ephesus is probably... At that time, perhaps 100 miles, 120 miles west of Colossae. So Paul was somewhat in the area, so it's possible that he could have gone there. But I haven't seen a scripture that actually says that explicitly. So I can't go any further than that. But anyway, it appears that Paul actually wanted to go to Colossae. You recall that when he wrote the letter to the Colossians, As far as we could tell at that time also, he had never been there before. The gospel reached Colossae from Ephesus where Paul had spent three years teaching and preaching in the school of Tyrannus. And so the gospel spread, as as it says later on in Acts, throughout the whole province of Asia, which is where Ephesus actually was at that time. But he wanted to go there. Now, he'd already said that he wanted to go to Rome, which is where he was actually then, so he'd actually made it to Rome. Now, he also said, indicated that he wanted to go to Spain. There was perhaps time for him to go to both if he did. But that was his desire or his hope. Now, we come basically to the greetings, Roman number four, greetings from various friends. Paul did not consider himself an isolated man. Paul loved people. He loved to be among people. He loved to be among believers in Jesus Christ. And so usually, whenever you uh, see him or hear from him, there are other people with him, other believers with him, serving with him in the same ministry, gospel ministry that he was serving in. And so in his final greetings here, he lists some of those people that, were, that was with him at that time. This is verses 23 and 24. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner of Christ Jesus, greets you, as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow workers. Now, Epaphras was perhaps a no-doubt the pastor of the church at Colossae. And he was probably the man who evangelized that whole Lycus Valley region or area, which included not only Colossae, but also Laodicea and Hierapolis. Apparently there were churches there as well. Epaphras may have actually evangelized that whole area. He was probably saved during that three-year period that Paul was actually in Ephesus proclaiming the gospel. He may have served alongside Paul Paul for a time in Ephesus as well. But after his conversion, apparently he went back home because he was actually from Colossae and evangelized in that area. And so as people were being saved, he actually planted churches there. We know that there was a church in Colossae and in those other two cities, Laodicea and Hierapolis. And Paul actually used exalted language concerning Epaphras. I thought it was exalted language. Listen to this. Turn to Colossians chapter 1. Paul actually uses high-level language as he refers to Epaphras here. We're kind of breaking in here. In chapter 5, at the end of chapter 5, not chapter 5, chapter 1, verse 5, there's not even five chapters in the whole letter. The NAS says at the end of verse 5, the gospel, you see that? The gospel, which has come to you, just as in all the world also it is constantly bearing fruit and increasing. Even as it has been doing among you also since the day you heard of it and understood the grace of God in truth. Now, notice verse 7. Just as you learned it from whom? Epaphras. And notice how Paul describes him here our beloved fellow slave. Our beloved. That's a good word. Beloved, that means he's loved by God and he's loved by others who know God. And he's a slave. That is, he's committed to do whatever uh, Christ commands him to do. He realizes that he's serving, he knows who his master is. Christ is his master. He's a fellow slave. Seems like Paul loves that word. In other words, Paul uh, implying here that he's a slave of Christ as well. Who is a faithful servant of Christ? This is in the category of Moses and the prophets. They were faithful servants of the Lord. So, this is high level language that Paul is using of this man on our behalf. So, Paul is considering that Epaphras was serving where he was serving on behalf of Paul. That is when actually, when Paul that was, when Epaphras was actually in Colossae, he had traveled to Rome to meet with Paul to discuss some issues that were taking place there. But at that time, earlier, he looked at him in this way, as someone serving on his behalf. So he was still with Paul. And even later on in Colossians uh, chapter 4, verses 12 and 13, we see that he was a great man of prayer. Notice what he says, Paul says, concerning him. Chapter 4, verses 12 and 13. Epaphras, who is one of your number, he's talking to the Colossians now, a bond slave, that is, of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. That is a remarkable statement. You know, the main two areas that pastors have concerning the flock. There's many things. But the primary two are speaking the truth of the gospel to the flock as well as praying for the flock. You remember in Acts chapter 6 when there's a controversy between the Hellenistic widows and the Hebraic widows? It got to the point in the daily rationing of food and so forth. It apparently came to the point where something needed to be done about it because there's much complaining going on. And so Paul told uh, the, the apostles... And Jerusalem told them, look out among themselves and choose seven men with certain characteristics. And they did. And as a result of that, they put them over that business because the apostle said, uh, it is not our responsibility to serve tables. It's our responsibility to pray and to be engaged in the ministry of the word. So based on that, I consider that those are the main two areas of ministry for Leaders of the church. He goes on to say, a bond slave of Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ sends you his greetings, always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers, that you may stand perfect and fully assured in all the will of God. Wouldn't you like to have someone praying for you like that? Think about what he says here: that you may stand perfect or complete and fully assured in all the word of God. For I testify for him that he has a deep concern for you and for those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. What a man Epaphras must have been. And finally, here in verse 23, he says something. He calls him his fellow prisoner. Look at verse 23 of our text. Philemon 23. He says, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner prisoner in Christ Jesus now I don't know whether we can be certain whether Epaphras was actually a prisoner as Paul was a prisoner in terms of being arrested but apparently he was at the same level because he calls him my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus greets you and then there's some other, there, <clears throat> excuse me. there's some other men with him as well the next one he mentions is Mark who sends his greetings. We first run into Mark in Acts chapter 12, verse 12. When Peter was released from prison, he went to the house of a lady by the name of Mary, and it says in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, that Mary was the mother of John, who was also called Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. The context of all of this is that when John and Peter was in prison, and God miraculously opened up the prison, re- removed his chains from him, this is the house that he came to. And, um, and he was knocking on the door, but they were so excited that they didn't recognize him, he kept beckoning for them to open the door, and finally they did. And so he, he made a brief appearance, but then he left. We also meet him again in Acts chapter 13, chapter 13, verse 5. That he went on a missionary journey, that is Mark, with Paul and Barnabas. But about halfway into the journey, he actually defected. He left and went back to Jerusalem, which is apparently where he was from. And so time passed and uh, Paul and Barnabas went on to Southern Galatia, proclaimed the gospel, planted churches there. And so they went back to Antioch after having planted churches there and established elders in those churches. More time passed, and Paul told Barnabas, let us go back and check upon these people. Let us go back and check upon these people, see how they are doing. And Barnabas, being a cousin of Mark, wanted to take Mark. But Paul said, no, we shouldn't take him because he deserted us in Perga of Pamphylia. And so as a result of that, a, 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 somewhat of a feud, I guess, the de- departing of ways uh, came between them. And Silas, I mean, Paul and, took Silas and they went back to visit the brethren in southern Galatia and went on their way to their second missionary journey. And, of course, Barnabas went with, uh, Mark went with Barnabas, and they went to Cyprus, the island of Cyprus. Mark apparently was a young man at the time. He was young spiritually as well, and he deserted them on that mission. But Barnabas did not give up on him. Apparently he kept encouraging him, teaching him, and so forth, and he became a strong man in the faith. Notice 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11. This is a, a, an amazing statement, and I think it addresses or uh, speaks to the fact that don't give up on a young believer. We will all make mistakes, but we can overcome those mistakes. We can grow up in the faith. This is Paul in Rome now. This is a different imprisonment. He's actually in a dungeon probably a very filthy place. And he's awaiting execution. And he's writing 2 Timothy to uh, plead with him to come to him. He wants him to come with him. And he's letting him know that his friends and even one of the defectors of the faith, Demas, has deserted him. And notice verse 11 of 2 Timothy chapter 4. He says, only Luke, is with, is with me pick up Mark and bring him with you and notice what he says concerning him for he is useful to me for service this is Paul not wanting to take Mark on that second missionary journey and many years have passed since that time and now he's saying these words for he that is Mark is useful to me for service Bring him. Pick him up and bring him. And so that's what happened there. A person can become stronger in the faith. They can mature in the faith. So I think we want to come alongside them and give them the opportunity to grow up a little bit more. The, the next person is Demas. Uh, he's mentioned several times in the New Testament as well, but his ending doesn't seem to be so good. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 10, it says of him, for Demas, having loved this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. It seems like he apostatized. Not much more said about him. Luke. Luke was a good friend of Paul and a long-standing traveling companion of his. He was with Paul during his imprisonment here, that is, in this, during this time, as well as his final imprisonment before death, as we just read only Luke is with me. So he stayed faithful to Paul until the end. And now Paul gives his final blessings or final benediction. He says, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Paul knows that Philemon is going to need the grace of God to fulfill the request that he's made of him. And so he's beseeching God for that grace on behalf of Philemon in order that he might fulfill his request. One commentator put it this way, and here Paul might especially be aware of how much grace the whole community would need a strong measure of, the whole community would need a strong measure of grace in order to respond well to Philemon's affairs. And indeed they would. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for this letter to Philemon. We thank you, Father, for the familial relationship that it alludes to and mentions. I pray, Father, that we would have a similar relationship, and indeed we do in this church. May it continue to grow. May we continue to love one another. May we be continually concerned for the well-being of one another, as we are, but as Paul said to the Thessalonians, but excel still more. Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for the family relationship that we enjoy in this church. We thank you for the grace that you continue to provide to this church. You meet all of our needs in every category in which they exist. May we trust you and depend upon you and love one another. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.